Well, it's wonderful to set aside some time in the Advent season. Try to set this season apart from all the rest of the year and, and to make it the privileged season that it is. Not all time is equal. Certain times of the year have greater potential for grace and for growth than other times. And Advent is certainly one of those times. Advent, as you already know, is the time in which we prepare for the coming of Christ. Now, there's three different times that Christ comes. Three different times. Christ came in Bethlehem, didn't he? Born in the stable. The most revolutionary event in all of history, we measure all of time from that year in which the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The second way Christ comes is at the end of all things. It's a mysterious reality for us, but we never want to forget that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming back. So when he does, look busy. It's going to be the most revolutionary event since the manger. But the third way that our Lord comes is he comes to your heart. And this is no less revolutionary than the first two ways. If you heard me preach last Sunday, I I made some of these points. When Christ comes, people tend not to be ready to receive him. When he came in Bethlehem, who knew about it? Just a few shepherds, right? One of the most chilling passages of all the scripture describes when he comes again. It's at the end of the Gospel of Luke. It's like Luke 23 or something like that. And Jesus says, when I come back, people are not going to be ready. They're going to say to the mountains, fall on us. And they're going to say to the hills, cover us and save us and spare us from the wrath. Something you can easily imagine, can't you? The point of Advent is to recognize that we're never ready when Christ wants to come and that we have to get ready, right? So in Advent, our preparation focuses on conversion of heart. So what I wanted to do with this first talk is to focus on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And this talk is entitled, The Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Advent Companion. So why is the Blessed Mother our Advent Companion? Because the Blessed Mother lived the very first Advent. And any focus that you ever give to her is going to be very richly rewarded. She's the one who shows us how to live this season. Because Advent is a time of receiving. Advent is ultimately a time in which we prepare to receive something. And she's the one who first received it. When she said, fiat, fiat me secundum voluntatum tuam, let it be done to me according to your word. So what we want to do here this Advent is we want to learn that if we want to welcome Christ, we have to be ready to receive him. The trick is that you can't receive anything unless you're first empty. And empty is not something we're very comfortable being. We smother emptiness. You want to know what it feels like to be empty? Just try this at home. Turn off the TV, put down the book, uh, close the blinds, don't read anything, don't look at anything, uh, don't fall asleep, right? Just, Just close your eyes and just be. 
And think of how long you can take it before you get restless. Most people can't. We always want to be distracted doing something, looking at something, watching something, going for a walk. Our greatest punishment is to give somebody solitary confinement, right? The greatest punishment for our worst criminals is the exact same thing the greatest saints seek out. Because that's the silence, the emptiness in which God can enter. Maybe someday I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about that. That's what the monastery was like. We resist this emptiness. We smother it with trivial plans. You know, suddenly you feel this urgent need to rearrange your sock drawer or alphabetize your library or stack all the books on your shelf according to height, right? Trivial plans. We, we, fill, our, we fill our emptiness with everything except God himself, and in so doing we resist God himself. First thing to understand about Advent, God can't fill you unless you're empty. So I want to try to help you to be empty, okay? I want to try to help you to be empty. Oh, but before I do that, one last little thought. You know the French mathematician Blaise Pascal, 16th century mathematician, he had a fascinating insight. Consider this for a moment. We should, all of us, have more leisure time than anyone else who's ever lived because of all the machines we've invented. Think of how much time you save with email. Uh, Remember the days when... You, you had to drive to the library and look things up to, to get information and you didn't have the internet to do it for you. Or Think about how much time you save just owning a washing machine. Think about how much time you, you, you save having, I don't know, food delivered to your door. We should be the most leisurely people that have ever lived. Are, are we the most leisurely people that have ever lived? No. We're busier than ever. Why? Why? This is the interesting insight of Blaise Pascal. He said, we're, we're busier than ever because we want it that way. Because it's easier to be busy than it is to face the emptiness. It's a terrible angst in your soul when you realize just how empty you are. And that's what God needs, though, right? That's what God needs. So what I want to try to do is to, is, to, is to help you to face this place where God and the soul can meet. It's possible with perseverance, with dedication, to clear out the clutter. But let's listen to the Gospel according to St. Luke. Okay? And the call of the Blessed Virgin Mary from the angel Gabriel. And that's what I would like to reflect on. To help you to be able to receive what God wants to give. And to help equip you to face the emptiness that you need to welcome the Lord. Okay? So you can stay seated for once while I read this Gospel. Okay? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? 
And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Four qualities the Blessed Virgin Mary shows us in this Gospel. Four qualities in which she was empty in order to be filled. Let's take a look at each one of them, okay? Here's the first. The first is the simplest. The Blessed Virgin Mary only wants God's will. Really, that's everything in the spiritual life. It's so simple that it could pass you, pass you by. But it's the simplest and most important point. The Blessed Virgin Mary only, want, only wants God's will. This is the most important question in the spiritual life. Whose will do you want? Thomas Aquinas, who was famous for writing volume upon volume of theology, was once asked by his sister, what does it take to become a saint? And the man who had written so many eloquent words about God answered her in two words. He simply said, will it. Will it. What does it take to become a saint? You must will it. What's the most important line in the Our Father? Thy will be done. Here's the trouble. We say we want God's will, but we really don't. One of the most insightful lines on this comes from John Henry Cardinal Newman. He said, the interest of most Christians is not to please God, but rather to please themselves without displeasing God too much. Now that's an honest answer. What do we want instead of God's will? Well, Thomas Aquinas tells us there's four things that we want instead of God's will. Honor, power, comfort, and wealth. These are the things that we seek after, and that could be the subject of a separate homily. The sad truth of the matter is the reason why most Christians never rise above a refined mediocrity in their lives is because we do not really want to. We want our own will. So you say, but how do I embrace God's will? How do I embrace it? Here's the key. The key is learning to embrace opportunities to grow in the virtue of humility. Humility. This is what the Blessed Mother shows us here. Angel says to Mary, hail full of grace, full of grace. And what does Mary say when she's told she's full of grace? It says that she's deeply troubled and wondered what kind of greeting could this be? It's a very important detail. Because what do you call someone who's deeply confused and taken aback when they're praised? You call this person humble, right? How do you grow in humility? How do you grow in humility? It's a simple trick really, to grow in humility. And that is, you learn humility by learning to embrace in prayer and gratitude and trust hundreds of diminishments that come into your life. Humility isn't really learned by being humiliated. It's learned by trustingly embracing all of life's little diminishments. They, they, they happen to us all the time. Someone's funnier than you are. Someone's better looking than you are. You suffer diminishments from slowly getting older and blinder and 
slower and grayer and wrinklier. You suffer diminishments when your own will isn't accomplished. You suffer diminishments when you find that you have to be patient and you have to wait and things don't happen according to your schedule. These things happen to us a dozen times a day. If you want to embrace God's will, what we want to do is learn how to embrace these little diminishments in humility. There's lots of ways to grow in humility. One of the ways that St. Teresa of Avila recommends is letting other people have their way whenever possible, as long as you're not violating any kind of principle. To let other people <laughs> say, say things in arguments that, that, that even though you know are, tr- are, are not true, you don't necessarily correct them. You just, you just kind of em- embrace it in silence without having to Im- insist on being, on being correct all the time. There's lots of ways to grow in humility. Probably the most effective, though, is this way of just learning to embrace humiliations. It sets you free. Slowly sets you free for what God wishes to give you. There's a key moment in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola in which he says, I want you to imagine two armies on a battlefield. Two armies on a battlefield. One is under Satan's command. The other is under Christ's command. Each army operates under completely different terms and completely different ways with sharply contrasting values. The army of Satan are servants of pride. They do all things for themselves and their will is all-powerful. The servants of Christ will do anything for God because they're set free with humility. Humility is the bully stick in which you can beat the devil to a pulp. You want to know why? Because the devil has no defense against humility. You can't beat the devil with intelligence. He's smarter than you are. You can't beat the devil with hard work. He never sleeps. You can't beat the devil with ingenuity. You can't beat the devil with, with anything whatsoever. He's got you wrung around. He's a far creature of a far higher order of, of, of creation than you are. There's one and only one weapon with which you can beat the devil silly, and that is the weapon of humility. Devil has no defense against it because he does not understand it. He is a very, very proud soul and has no understanding of humility. That's how the Blessed Virgin Mary crushes the head of the serpent. It's not with her own might. It's because she's so greatly, greatly humble. And this is what frees us. This is what empties us. You could say the definition of a saint is very simple. It's just someone who always does God's will. God's will works through them. It's what the Blessed Virgin Mary received. It's what she shows us. It's what we must learn to seek as she sought. And that's the first thing the Blessed Mother shows us in this call story from St. Luke. All right, here's the second She doesn't just do God's will. She does God's will without even knowing the consequences. She says, let it be done to me as you say. That's a hard thing to say yes to. You know, when it comes to God's plan, whether in the world or in our lives, there's always more mystery than clarity. Not even until eternity are you going to understand God's plan, and even then you'll never understand it completely. Which means you have one and only one choice if you're interested in doing God's will. You have to learn how to say yes when you don't know what's going to happen, do you? You have to learn to write the Lord a blank check. No strings attached. You know, when you become a priest, you you say yes to all these things. And they send you out, and there's no guarantees as to what's going to happen to you. No guarantees whatsoever. 
I'm told that it's I'm told that it's the same in marriage. Can I tell you a little irreverent joke just for fun? Just for fun. This young boy, he goes up to his father and he says, Daddy, Daddy, is it true that in some countries in Africa, a man marries a woman without even knowing who she is? The dad says, that's true in every country, son. <laughs> a little irreverent joke there for you. Blank check, right? Blessed Virgin Mary, I like to compare her with Abraham. Both were called, both were surprised, both were asked to do impossible things. Both said yes without knowing the details. Abraham and the Blessed Virgin Mary, they both received a promise. Abraham would become the father of a son, and from him would become a great nation. Blessed Mother would become the mother of a son, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Both were told an impossible promise. Abraham was too old. His wife was too old. It couldn't be done, right? Couldn't be done. Blessed Virgin Mary knew not man, a virgin, and as tradition tells us, a consecrated one, and for life, impossible. For both, God's plan was a complete intrusion. Their daily life was disrupted. Their settled rhythms overturned. Their expectations for their lives blasted. Both would walk as if through darkness, simply trusting the one who called them. But despite all this fear and all this uncertainty, both Abraham and the Blessed Virgin Mary were quick to say, yes, and look at the good God accomplished when they did. Abraham becomes our father in faith. Blessed Virgin Mary gives us Christ the Lord. And my little point in saying this is, God's work always looks like this. God's most important plan always looks like this. You say yes without knowing the details. He, he calls you under no other terms. St. Peter called out to walk onto the sea when Christ asked him to. Think you'd have enough courage to get out of the boat? Pray about that sometime. Pray about that sometime. Because you need more courage than St. Peter did to get out of the boat, so to speak, of the false sources of your security. There's so many false sources of our security. It's very, very easy and comfortable, right now at least, to say yes to God. Uh, but we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, especially in our own time. But you want to conquer the storms of life, and they come. You want to conquer the storms of the world, all the things in the news that you can't control, what tomorrow might bring. It takes faith like that, the faith to write God a blank check. Some people say, yeah, yeah, but you know, Mary saw the angel and, you know, if I could just see something like Mary did, I could do the same thing. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. Because here's where we're just like the Blessed Mother. She said yes before she could see anything. She said yes before she could understand. It's very hard to do. And one important thing, just as a side note, it gets harder and harder as the years go by. This is why it's so important to teach children their faith. If this invitation to say yes to God is not accepted to some degree in very early childhood, it gets very, very hard to do. Most adults have already thrust down deep roots in this world's values. Tiny little side note, I teach converts to the faith. I teach them RCIA. And I've been doing this for 23 years. I've discovered 
that about half the people who come into the church abandon the faith within a year. And no matter where you go, it's always like that. At first I began to think there's something wrong with me, but then you realize it's like that everywhere. Why? Because we thrust down deep roots in this world values. Our hands are tightly gripped around self-interest. Our minds are paralyzed by fear. People think that it's madness to trust in God. When you start talking about trust in God, even people who come to church think you're crazy. They say, yeah, 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 but what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to invest? And how are we going to plan? And what people think is most insane is not to put their trust in money. What do we teach children? We teach them they need to get somewhere in life and they need to make something of themselves. And by this we mean they need to go out and make a lot of money. Here's a real blunt thing for you to think about. Why do we value education? Why do we value education? Is it for its truth? Or is it for its income potential? I think you know the answer to that. This might be the most radical proposal of all this morning. To learn to believe when you cannot yet see. And yet, God will call you on no other terms. We must, all of us, love God enough to abandon ourselves and to write him a blank check. It's what the Blessed Virgin Mary did. And it's the second most important thing she teaches us. Here's the third. The Blessed Mother found God's will in her ordinary life. Search through the scriptures and you'll find very, very few quotes attributed to the Blessed Virgin Mary. She says very, very little. She does very, very little. That's because most of her life was very, very ordinary. And as it was for her, so it must be for you and me. Question for you here this morning. We honor the Blessed Virgin Mary as being holier than all the other saints, and by far, it's not even close. The saints used to say that the Blessed Mother was greater than all the other saints the same way that the moon outshines the stars. It's not even close. Why is it not even close? Why is it not even close? Here's why. Because she sanctified ordinary things. Pious people often think that ordinary things are getting in the way of finding God. The truth of the matter is, the ordinary stuff of which your days are made are the material God has given you to find him. People complain, I don't have enough time for the spiritual life, right? Quote, quote, spiritual life. And by spiritual life, quote, quote, they mean pious activities, going to mass, having time for spiritual reading, saying prayers. Don't get me wrong, these things are very essential. It's very good you carved out time to be here this morning. It's going to help you immensely. They have their place. But please understand this. You always have enough time for what God wills for you. You always have enough time for what God wills for you. Things like cleaning the home, mending clothes, caring for children, being stuck in traffic, preparing meals. This is not wasted time. This is the spiritual life. So long as it's prayerful, mindful, and obedient to God's will. Together with prayer and the sacraments, union with God comes about in no other way. People often think to themselves, they could be holy, if only they could do, do it in a way that appeals to them. I mean, it makes me laugh. People say, I don't know if you've heard this or not, maybe you have to be a priest to hear this, but you'll hear these people, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I'd lay down my life for my faith, I'd go to... I'd go to jail for my faith. Maybe they only tell priests these things. 
And then they complain that the traffic is backed up, right? Or they can't get out of the parking lot in time to get their Starbucks coffee. They complain about their their daily commute. Question for you, does this describe you? Does this describe you? Are you the kind of person who complains but a crotchety co-worker? Or perhaps a child whose personality you didn't choose? Such people as these don't really trust God. They don't really trust God's will for them because this is how God's will is being unfolded on a daily basis. Such people as these live in great fear. They don't trust God really does have a plan for them. They're afraid. They're afraid of suffering because they don't believe God's got a plan in that. They're afraid of pain, of sickness. They're afraid of loneliness. They're afraid of humiliation. They're afraid of running out of money, afraid of old age. I guess you could say ultimately we're all afraid of death. What's the remedy for this fear? The remedy is taught to us by the Blessed Virgin Mary. Learn the meaning of these words. Let it be done unto me as you have said. It's hard for us to learn this. It's hard for us to learn what it means to be in Christ. It's hard for us to learn that he wants to be the one who acts in everything that we do. That he wants to be the one who sacrifices in everything that we suffer. Strive in your prayer if you can to think of your life as actually belonging to him. Went to see a woman once she was dying and, you know, some of these circumstances. You can imagine the priest trying to strike up a conversation with someone like this and trying to perhaps give a spiritual thought or two. Um, But she floored me, this woman did. Because she simply said the greatest and deepest truth of all. She said, it's okay. It's not even my life. It's God's life. He can take it back whenever he wants. And you can tell she meant it. Think of your life as really belonging to him. It's Christ who wishes to do this this day. So I will do it. It's Christ who chooses to suffer this. And so I will embrace it. It's Christ who wishes me to be here, and so I'm here. It's Christ who wishes me to go there. It's Christ who wishes me to go and greet that person. You actually hold in your life the ability to do or to deny God himself the exercise of his will in you. You have that ability. This is what the Blessed Mother did for so many silent years. God asked for one very small thing from her. The unconditional gift of her entire life. No conditions, no reservations, no qualifications. It's the third way that the Blessed Mother teaches us how to be empty. Here's the fourth. The fourth is the hardest. The fourth is the most exacting. The fourth way that the Blessed Mother teaches us how to be empty is that she simply perseveres. This is the most exacting test of all. Wouldn't it be great if you could get into heaven just by being faithful for one day? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could get into heaven by putting in just one good hour? I think we could all do that, right? It's another matter entirely to be faithful for the entire course of your life. Can I tell you a little story? Just a little story. I I once helped out the Missionaries of Charity Contemplative Sisters and had the great opportunity once to speak to one of these missionary of charity contemplative sisters and about this or that woe difficulty in in, in my life. And she said to me, 
words that I've been wanting to hear my entire life. She said to me that the white martyrdom is much harder than the red martyrdom. Do you know what the white martyrdom is? You know what the red martyrdom is, right? Red martyrdom is when you shed your blood for Christ. That's much easier, right? It's all over in 15 minutes. What's the white martyrdom? White martyrdom is when you give your life to Christ day in, day out, and it takes 80, 85, 90 years. That's the white martyrdom. That's why we wear white when we celebrate the feasts of saints that aren't martyrs. They call it the white martyrdom. It's much harder to do that. But the Blessed Mother, she also shows us this. This is her faithfulness. She said yes at Nazareth, didn't she? She repeated that yes again and again and again. She repeated that yes at the foot of the cross. That's when she really said, let it be done unto me as you say. She repeated that yes when she saw Jesus ascend into heaven and leave her behind. She repeated that yes for decades and decades until God finally called her home. There's no trick to perseverance. There's no trick. It's... It, it's, really, it's, really just like, it's really just like brute force. There's no trick to it. But we do ask for God for the grace. We ask for it in prayer. That's the first way in which we persevere. Turn to God and say, Lord, grant me the grace to persevere. And the second thing we do is we learn to keep our eyes on God. Because if you keep your eyes on God, you can get through anything. So there's just a few things that we learn from the Blessed Virgin Mary to help us live in a spirit of Advent. Blessed Mother was not asked to do something herself. She was asked, rather, to let something happen to her. She wasn't asked to renounce anything. She was asked to receive something. Gabriel heard her yes. Nobody saw it. Nobody reported it. Nobody praised it. Isn't it amazing? Greatest event in history was a secret between two lovers. God has made himself dependent on human beings by God's own free choice. The entire world's salvation was dependent on Mary. If she said no, there wouldn't have been Jesus, I'm telling you. There wouldn't have been a savior. There wouldn't have been a redemption. Something similar happens every time we tell God no to. That's why it's so important we learn to be watchful. We learn to be open. We learn to be empty. That's why it's so important we strive to say that yes. Vatican Council II says, Man discovers his true self when he makes a sincere gift of himself. Begin to know who you are as you empty yourself. As your heart abandons its self-centered pursuits. That's when it finally becomes open to the will of God. In a world gone wrong, there's no fixing anything without sacrifice. No fixing anything without sacrifice. To make wrong things right again requires sacrifice. This is a basic biblical insight. Openness, docility, receptivity, all based on faith. That's what the Blessed Mother teaches us. And that's what I'd ask, to, ask you to think about and pray about as we make our way through this Advent season. To learn to respond as she responded. I'm working on it too, I promise you. I'm working on it too. That's why this Advent, let's make the prayer of our hearts the same as the prayer of her heart as we pray with her. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Amen. And with a little prayer, 
name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.